Okay. Oh, the lady out on Park Point. Okay. She's not at Bentleyville. She's out on Park Point. Oh. And I don't know if she's still there. Oh. Sorry, I had to start the mic back there because uh, Lee had to go help with some technical difficulties in the youth area. All right. Welcome back to the final night of Luke's Gospel. Um, the final countdown. Yes. Right on. Don't need this anymore. So we are in Luke chapter 24 tonight, finishing out Luke's gospel. Um, and then we're going to take two weeks off for Christmas. And then we are going to jump into Acts, the second part of Luke's, uh, Luke-Acts. And so that's going to be super exciting to jump into into January. So... Um, it's been an outstanding uh, fall, I guess. We, I mean, it's not technically still fall, uh, but this has been a super great experience for me um, this year. So thank you for participating and being here and engaging. Um, those of you who are at home, thank you for engaging as well. Love to hear from those folks too. So again, we're going to be in chapter 24 the resurrection. So I, I joked last week, we're having Christmas and Easter together. So here we go. Let's pray, and then we will read, uh, read from the text. Heavenly Father, thank you for today and for these folks that love you and keep showing up to engage with each other and with you. And so we just pray, uh, Holy Spirit, that you would Come upon us in a new and fresh way tonight in a text that for many of us we've heard so many times. We just pray, God, that you'd give us fresh eyes and Holy Spirit that you would illuminate to us tonight what you are trying to communicate through this passage and through this gospel that we call Luke. And so just be with our time, be with our discussions tonight, and be with us this Christmas season as we focus on you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so somebody had asked last week, uh, or maybe two weeks ago, about um, having this opportunity to kind of group up in our, um, like with the people we're kind of sitting around, and so I thought, why not try it out tonight? For some of you, it'll be absolutely brand new. Um, part of the challenge for me in accepting that is I know many of your groups have really um, taken off and have had a lot of great traction, and so hopefully um, this won't be like I was on uh, Monday morning when I got out of my vehicle and slipped immediately and fell on the parking lot. So hopefully that won't happen uh, tonight. So what we're going to do is uh, we're going to read through 24, and then we're going to go to the first question on first two questions on your sheet, and then we're going to kind of go back and forth. Um, tonight. So it's going to be a little bit different than we typically do on a Wednesday night, uh, but I think you can follow along uh, as we go. So here we go. Jesus has just been crucified uh, at the end of 23, and they have rested on the Sabbath. And Luke says, uh, starting in verse 1 of 24, but on the first day of the week, 
At early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were, fright, as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home, marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a pro prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But he had hoped that he was the one to redeem. We had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent." So he went in to stay with them, but he was at, when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed. And, appeared, and has appeared to Simon. When they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. 
And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple blessing God. That is the Gospel of Luke. All right, so um, as I mentioned, we are going to do something that we haven't done this year, but we did last year, and we are going to uh, discuss throughout the night in um, little pockets of discussion for some of us. We do not like this. I understand. Um, I understand. So I'm not saying that you have to like this. This is just what we're going to do, and seven people just left. Um, also, I don't miss the irony that some of you are here for the very first time. God bless you. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to the unexpected. Um, so we're going to get together in groups of five to three. So no six, no two. Yeah, good idea. Get the questions. Groups between three and five, okay? Three and five. This is a problem for us. I don't know how, but it's a problem. Three to five people. Um, And we're going to discuss the first two questions. What is something that stood out to you throughout our time in Luke? Which is so ironic. Some of you are like, he's risen. (laughs) That stood out to me. Uh, And then what is something that was new to you through this journey in Luke? So this is like first preliminary like discussion to get us talking. So you're going to have to move. We have to move your chairs. You can spread out. There's lots of room over here. There's lots of room up here. Grab three to five people, uh, and I'll give you guys about seven minutes to discuss these two questions.
All right, you have one one minute. One minute. You're only on the one first set of questions, not the second. Yeah, great. Well, some groups, they can't count and they can't follow instructions. Yeah, I'm counting the seconds, 10 seconds. All right, let's come back together. Um, you don't have to really move your chairs, but you uh, just if you could stop talking so that you don't distract the people that are near you, um, and then they can also hear what's going on. Curious, uh, the groups that anyone who would like to... Uh, be bold enough to share how they answered this question or reflections from uh, this question. Not everyone at once. I was just talking today about how great this group has been this year about participating. Yes. the control that Jesus had even in the midst of all of his suffering. Cool. Other reflections? We should do, oh yes, Kathy. Mm. So the posture of our hearts towards giving and also the radicalness of Jesus. Chad. Janine. Yeah, so just the gift that Janine gave to us uh, as we got into this journey. Yeah, super uh, agree. Yes? I'm sorry, which group are you in? The three? Just the three of you? Okay, cool.
Yeah, so his interaction with the Pharisees and how he was kind of the exact opposite of how they did things. Yeah, cool. Yes? Mm. Yeah, the cluelessness of the disciples. And did that make you feel better or worse? Or Yeah, you can kind of relate. Yeah, for sure. All right, so um, we're not, we're not going to skip this last text because it's kind of, kind of an important text. Um, so it's interesting, right? So we have the ladies in 54 or in 55 that are preparing the spices, and then Luke tells us right away in 24, the beginning of 24, the ladies are waiting and they go on the first day of the week uh, to be with Jesus and to uh, provide these spices for his body. And it's one of the most interesting things that sticks out to me as we go through this is how they fully believed that he was still going to be there. And, you know, this mystery of his resurrection, even though they've been told over and over and over and over and over, they go to the tomb anticipating the body of Jesus being there and still caring for Jesus. And so just the the complete mind-blowing experience of like, wait, he's not even here. And that doubt continues throughout the, really till the end of this whole experience. But the women lead the charge, they go, and they're with Jesus. And in the tomb is these two individuals that are angels. And even then they remind them. Remember, he told you, verse 6, while he was still in Galilee, that all of this was going to happen. And they remembered his words, and they return and they tell the eleven, because remember Judas has now left the group, um, and he's going to be replaced. And, you know, it's, it's very easy for us to say, oh yeah, guys don't believe what women say. But the radical nature of that, I mean, Jesus has died, and he is supposed to be in this tomb, and I know they've They've heard it, they've heard it, they've heard it, but they haven't officially believed that he will be resurrected. And even when they hear it from the women, they still can't believe it. And Peter is the only one who decides that he is going to go, and he runs to the tomb, and he sees what has happened. And notice, he goes home, which is kind of an interesting twist. He doesn't go back to be with the 12 or the 11. He goes, and he goes home. And these two, these unna- well, these two individuals that we, we really don't know who they are, they seem to be two um, disciples that aren't a part of the 11 because of how they fit within the story. They're on their way. They've, they've been in Jerusalem. They literally have just had their whole world crushed because Jesus is dead. They don't know that he is, he is risen. They believe that he is dead. You know, again, oftentimes I think we have... We have a hard time wrapping our minds around this because it's, you know, we know the full story. But for these people who have left everything and followed Jesus and really believe that he is who he said he was going to be, they can't cognitively understand the fact that he is going to raise, be risen. They are headed back. They're headed towards Emmaus, and they're walking along the road. And notice they are discussing together what has happened. And I think it's very interesting because if you think about, if you're a Jew and you're thinking about this road experience, 
if you think all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Israelites are told that as they go out and as they come in, as they walk along the road, they are to discuss the things of God. And so it's this interesting thing about how we see two Jews doing exactly what God has instructed them in the Old Testament about how they're to live out their faith. They're to discuss as they are on this walk together. Now, certainly they're not out for this leisurely walk. They're walking because they don't have uh, transportation. But a friend of mine, I had been telling him how much I enjoy walking and just going for walks. And he's like, you're kind of odd in that regard. And then he called me last week and he said, I'm like, where are you? He's like, I'm out for a walk. <laughs> because there is something about, he was, he's a therapist and he was explaining to me that there's actually something about how the bodily repetition of walking has this effect uh, on us that other activities don't have. Um, and so it's interesting that they're on this walk together and they have this revelatory moment. Also, when we start looking at how does the, the road function within Luke's narrative? So as we go into Acts, I think it's a very interesting nod. The Emmaus Road becomes this bridge to what is going to happen in Acts, and there are some significant things that happen along the road in uh, Acts as we move forward. For, one, for part of us, or for maybe for some of us, we say, how in the world do they not recognize Jesus? Well, just imagine this idea of you're two people walking along the road together, a lot of people walking, somebody else shows up next to you. You don't necessarily look at them, and so did they not physically see him? Did they just see that he was another person? But he, part of the brilliance of this is he continues his questioning and his, um, I know some people didn't like this word, provoking of individuals by how he is communicating. Because he knows who he is, obviously, and he plays dumb to them, in essence, to see how they would respond. Now notice, as I pointed out last week, and we're going to continue to point out in 19, this phrasing and terminology is going to continue to come back about who is responsible for the death of Jesus. But they are so perplexed about who Jesus is, and they are so dumbfounded by the fact that he hasn't risen again, and they go along the way, and they, they tell him what's happening, and he has compassion for them. And this, this phrasing uh, that he says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. For some of us, it draws us back to this idea of, remember when they're on the boat, the storm is raging, and he comes up, up uh, at the top, and he says, O you foolish ones, you of little faith. So it's kind of this interesting echo back. And notice he doesn't just say, surprise, it's me, Jesus. He starts at the beginning, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He has this sweeping teaching. Now this, this idea is going to happen again and again in Acts. So we're going to see these big grand speeches, and it's going to be this same style of recounting. So they're, they're drawing near to this village, and notice... They want him to stay with them. They want him to participate in their hospitality. And so he goes in with them, and what happens? They sit down at the table. Now notice, and it happens again here in a little bit, that they're eating together. The importance of food within Luke's gospel 
and the importance of table fellowship, which happens in Luke's gospel. Because it is not just this idea of the consumption of food, it's about what is happening around the table. Now notice this table experience and the next table experience that they have when he eats the fish. And every other table experience is happening where? Where is your kitchen table? (laughs) In a house. Thank you. Yes. And so we so often equate communion with the table that is here when, when we look at Scripture, the communion that's happening is in the table of people's homes. And it is in the process of eating and sharing a meal together that this revelation comes upon them. It says, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Because the process and the practice of eating and participating in table fellowship is about more than the consumption of food. And it's about this idea of when a few people are gathered together around the table, God shows up in very interesting ways. And again, when we move forward and he eats the fish, there's this experience of Jesus in a particular way that is revelatory for them. But for us, oftentimes, food becomes just uh, either a necessity. We, re- we really push back against the importance of table fellowship and hospitality and how that functions within not only Luke's gospel, but in the larger narrative of Scripture. Because we have tables for a reason. I mean, how many just key, key moments in Luke's gospel happen at a table? I mean, you think all the way back to the woman who anoints Jesus' feet and recognizes who Jesus is. Where is he at? He's at a table. Here, they're sitting at a table. They're consuming food. He's not having communion with them. Like, he's not saying, this is my body and this is my blood. I mean, he literally just did that like a few days before. He is having a simple meal and they are seeing him in a new way because there is power in the communal experience that is table fellowship. And now if you look at the spiritual practice at the bottom here, that becomes this challenge. And for some reason around the holidays, it can be this opportunity for us to be either more open or less open. (laughs) Those are our two options. We're either more open to having people in our homes or less open to having people in our homes, one or the other. But what would it look like for us to see the importance of table fellowship, invite people into our homes, and then experience true fellowship? Because eating without uh, a spiritual component is just sharing a meal. Fellowship, in its truest sense, has to be involving God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And so far too often we get we come to believe that we fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ just when we are in the same space. And I think we miss out on the true richness of that by not 
going that layer or two deeper, by not asking ourselves some of these challenging questions about how God is working in our lives and how are we experiencing Jesus. Because in this process, again, their eyes are opened to see Jesus fully for who he is. And it happens around the table, and it's so important. Because up to this point, I mean, literally, they're sitting there, and it's not until, was it because they were too hungry? They needed a Snickers? I don't know. But in this process, they, their eyes are opened. And notice they say in verse 32, did not our hearts burn within us? It was like they knew who he was, but their eyes weren't fully opened. And they run back, verse 33, they've walked seven miles, they turn around and they head back to Emmaus, or to Jerusalem, so that they can have this experience to tell the other people. And notice, um, he runs back and they say, uh, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Well, we don't get that story in Luke's gospel. Why does Luke choose to neglect to tell us that? Great question. I just got to check my, my timing here. All right, so what I want to do is um, let's pause here, okay? And let's actually, these, as you know from our discussion groups, um, typically uh, we don't have to go in order. And so we're going to jump ahead to the fourth set of questions. Um, so these ladies were noticing I was actually set a timer. I do set a timer. So I'm going to give you guys about uh, nine minutes to discuss this fourth set of questions about eating and spiritual insights um, and table fellowship. So, nine minutes, table fellowship, ready, go.
right, let's uh, come back together. You know, it's it's interesting. I've had uh, there have been many Wednesday nights where I'm like, all right, we need to come back together, and there's this like collective groan from a number of groups. Um, <laughs> You can invite these people to your home, and you can get together outside of Wednesday night between 6.30 and 8 to dis- further discuss what we're doing here. It's, that's okay. It, <laughs> what you do in your house is your decision. <laughs> so, yeah, you're like, maybe, what do I do with this 2 to 5? Well, there's a couple people sitting with you right now that you can invite into your home. No, no, we're not talking about tuna. I don't want to talk about tuna. I hate the chicken of the sea. It makes me gag. No, thank you. No, no. What? Yeah, for tuna? Yeah. All right, thoughts or comments or questions uh, from that little bit of discussion? Could you elaborate on the minivan versus the table? Um, so the answer, I think, would be yes. Both, how about both and? Help us to what? I don't know if it can, but <laughs> I'd love to hear you expound. <laughs> Maybe you could enlighten my mind. Yes. Oh, nice. So, yeah, it's more than prayer. It's a devotional or a question or... What do I do? When? Uh, Well, it depends on who I have over. Uh, But, for example, last year we had this... We'd come to this place with some dear friends, and we had recognized that when we got together, we got together regularly, but oftentimes we didn't have spiritually focused conversations. It was like this implied, like, we all go to church together, and we do these things, and it might come up kind of here and there. And so we said, once a month, we will get together, and we will have a spiritually focused conversation so that we can grow together, not only relationally, but spiritually. And so it would be just a general, there might be general questions to begin with. It might be a focused topic. And it was, it was not a small group. People are like, that sounds a lot like small group. It was not a small group. It was a spiritual friend enrichment time. So I, um, I'm, I love like the, 
the question books that kind of provide you with a, a guideline. Um, there's this, uh, what is it called? The Moth Radio Hour. They do all these stories, and they actually have these story cards that, uh, that have question prompts for you. We have um, picture things with prompts. If you remember, we uh, had started that. I don't remember when. I stole it from North Point in Atlanta. We have these packages of, I think they're called story cards. And rather than having to come up with an answer, you just look at a, a picture, and the picture kind of explains for you, for those of us who are, you know, have a hard time saying words out of our mouth. Um, so those are some of the things that I have found quite effective. Yes, Val. Oh, yeah. What's God been doing in your life? It's like, okay, wow, that was direct. You know, one of the questions that we ask in Detroit is, where did you see God today? And so that's a pretty open-ended question that there really doesn't have a right answer to. It's, and, and for many of us, it becomes awkward. And, it, and so starting easy with some easy, simple questions um, then the more you do it, the easier it gets. So. Yeah. Yeah, certainly, uh, as Phil pointed out, um, the, the prompting of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to get into talking about, and then obviously we're going to talk a lot more in Acts. You know, Jesus says, don't, earlier he says, don't plan what you're going to say. I will give you the answer when the time is necessary. And so, yes. All right. So, um, great thoughts. And um, so, where are we? 36. And, you know, it's, again, so much of this, Sometimes we just forget like how incredible this is, not to mention, as somebody just did, he's eating with them, and then boom, he's not. Um, so they go back, they tell the people everything that's happened, they're talking about these things with the disciples, and then all of a sudden it's like, boom, there's Jesus. <laughs> just like, ooh, you scared me. Um, they were startled and frightened. I mean, again, we've... The timeline of his death, like uh, we, I was talking to a friend of mine who uh, does search and rescue, and one of the last times we were talking, he was out looking for this hunter who had been missing for like, at the time, it was like 24 hours or 36 hours. And so I always like to check back with him, like, hey, what happened to, with the event? Uh, and he texts me back, and he's like, well, it's probably going to be a body recovery mission, which means the guy's dead. Another day goes by, and he texts me back, and he says, the guy was found. 60-some-year-old guy, he's in the Tetons of Wyoming. During hunting season, he gets lost. He walks over 20 miles on a bad leg, stumbles upon another hunting camp, and poof, the dude is alive! <laughs> I mean, just imagine that. Like, okay, uh, if somebody goes, nowadays, it's like somebody's, you know, Somebody's missing for an hour, and we're like, where are you? Find my phone. Like, you're missing. Um, 
But they wake up the next morning, it's the Sabbath, and they're like, maybe he's going to come back. He doesn't come back. They wake up the next morning, they're like, the hope is just diminishing by the hour, and then boom, there he is. And he's like, what's wrong with you guys? (laughs) Why do doubts arise in your heart? And then he shows them his physical body, his new hands and his feet that have been scarred. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And this phrasing, in the ESV, it's really kind of confusing, but this idea of they they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. It's like they cannot comprehend what has happened in front of them. And I was telling the story actually of the same friend. It's Maddie's uh, grad party, and I'm talking uh, to some people. And all of a sudden, my friend's daughter walks up to me, and she says, Uncle Eric, where's the ice cream? And I literally stood there for what felt like an hour, like, what are you doing here? And it was this, my mind could not comprehend that she was in front of me, And I was so overjoyed that she was in front of me. I was like, what is happening right now? And everyone's like, what's happening right now? And I'm like, they're, they're, do you see this? They're here. They're, can you believe that they're here? That's like a hundred times more here. Like Jesus, people don't come back from the dead. Jesus is dead. They're like, he's gone. They're trying to figure out what they're going to do. And then he's not dead. He is alive and he is alive with a physical body. And we cannot miss the importance of this. Because what Jesus does through the cross and the resurrection is he defeats death. The enemy is death and he defeats death. And he comes back in a full physical body. And we've talked about this before. Maybe some of you have been a part of that conversation. Maybe you haven't. We have such been skewed around so many worldly concepts of what the body is and how the body functions and where the body fits within the larger theological framework that we live in. And we can talk about Cartesian dualism and Gnosticism and, you know, matter is evil and all these things that some of you are like, I don't even know the words that are coming out of your mouth right now. You're in a good company. The point of the matter is when Jesus is resurrected, it is the stamp on the human body of God saying the body is a good thing and I want it to continue. Because in Christ, death has been defeated. Death is no more in Christ. And now, when we talk about this, we say, well, but people are still dying. Yes, it's the idea that when Jesus fully returns, we will be reunited with him. That our bodies have value, and when we are in Christ, we have this eternal value. And it's so fascinating, which is a much larger conversation, which we don't have time for. Jesus' physical injuries are not somehow miraculously not there in his resurrected body. Which causes us to ask some very interesting questions about our physical uh, markings that we have and how does God view those and what will those look like in heaven.
will Jesus have those marks in heaven? That seems to be true, yes. Yes, that, is, that seems to be the implication, that he has scars, but the scars are healed. It's not that he somehow has, is completely different. Now, I know some people are like, well, let's talk about 1 Corinthians 15 and Paul's. We can have a tendency around uh, elevating particular scripture over other scripture because we like what that scripture says versus other scripture. Yes, to have a conversation about the resurrection and, and the resurrected body and heaven and all these things. Yes, this, I mean, we, have, we need hours, which none of us want to contribute to tonight. The amazing thing is Jesus is resurrected. He has defeated death, and his body is still bearing the scars post-resurrection. And the people are like, we, uh, what is actually happening? It has taken them, I mean, how many things has to hap- have to happen for them to truly believe who Jesus is, and Jesus is real? And that's where when we go on and talk about this idea of the Holy Spirit, which uh, Phil was alluding to earlier, he talks about in the end that he's going to send the promise of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is going to start to do. And we start to have this, uh, some of these questions about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to spend a lot of time at the beginning of Acts talking about the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit, the function of the Holy Spirit. Here he gives this idea that when the Holy Spirit comes, it's going to come with power from on high, meaning from uh, his Father. One of the other, other interesting things that we have to think about here is, why does Luke conclude Luke in a particular way, and then he starts Acts in a slightly different way? Which we're going to you know, come to unpack. Because he's ascending uh, in 50, you know, 50 through 53, But then in Acts chapter 1, he tells us that Jesus is around for 40 days. So did he forget? Did he just skip over for the 40 days? Great question. We're going to talk about that when we get into um, Acts. The idea here, though, is, I mean, it's easy for us to say he was right there in front of you. But I would hope that maybe we could have a little bit more compassion on them to say, um, this disbelief isn't necessarily grounds for dismissal. Doubt isn't grounds for dismissal from the kingdom of God. And in fact, there is compassion in the face of disbelief. And Jesus doesn't reject them. He presses in further to try and help them come to this place of belief. Remember what they, pr- what they prayed for um, a few weeks ago? Yes, thank you. Increase our faith, yes. And so they're praying for it. And we're still saying, seems like they still need to have their faith increased. It's not like they prayed for it and it was instantly happened because here they're still within this cognitive dissonance of, I know what I'm seeing but I'm not sure I can fully wrap my mind around it because it is so, I mean, you want to talk about mind-blowing. That's, in essence, what is happening to the disciples in this instance. I got something in my eye. All right, so we're going to move on to, move back to the, what would be the second set of questions 
about um, this long time to come to a belief and how God relates to us and also uh, something that maybe we still have a hard time believing uh, today. So I'll give you guys uh, 10 minutes to discuss.
All right, you got about one minute to wrap up. Okay, let's uh, bring it back. Curious, uh, on your discussion around this, these two questions, and maybe you just want to do what I do and just answer, my, answer the questions with a question, which is fair. Good strategy. Thoughts from your discussion? Yes. Yeah, so how do you break free from these culturally inherited concepts that today you're like, I'm not sure I believe that? Is that what you're saying? I mean, if, I'm, if that's not what you're saying, please help me understand. Yeah, so how do you break free? You know, how do you live in the tension of I grew up and I inherited this particular way of doing things and now I'm encountering a particular way of doing things that isn't that? And so what do I do with that? Yeah. Which I was great point, yes. I mean the, what he said is isn't that what the disciples dealt with? This I've literally lived for centuries with this inherited culture of Judaism and this way of doing my religious faith and worshiping God. And Jesus is telling me to do something slightly different. And really, that singular burning question is what we're going to address as we move through Acts, as the church comes together and says, well, I think we should do it this way. And somebody else in the church says, well, I think we should do it this way. And yeah, it takes us 15 chapters to get to the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15, where they start to flush things out. Um, but yeah, that, that is kind of one of the most challenging questions that we deal with.
Thank you for sharing. Yes, Dane. Are you sure? The, are we forgiven for all of them? Yeah. Every single one of them. Yes, that's a great question. Yeah, which, you know, it makes me think of the question last week about this testing that we experience. And could, G, could Jesus be interceding on our behalf to help us truly believe that in our face of testing? You know, growing up in the the great 90s youth group era. I remember the card catalog. Anyone seen this video? You like, guy goes in and this card catalog of like all these, you, remember the library? You go into the card catalog. Some of these people, I got I to point this out. Yeah, okay. But not everyone. Vanek, did you go to a card catalog when you were in high school? Okay, see? <laughs> Not everyone knows about a card catalog. <laughs> but, you know, it goes in and there's like all these sins and then Jesus forgives him and then they're all blank. And you're like, but maybe is there one? I hear that, yeah. Other thoughts or comments, questions? Okay. One thing I want to point out uh, as we conclude this is um, in 47, we see uh, Jesus declaring that they're going to uh, this idea of repentance, okay? Let's back up. Uh, that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem, so this idea of, again, setting up, that's why I think it's so important and that's why I really wanted to try this thing this year because that singular phrase is what is going to happen in Acts. And so they're going to start in Jerusalem and they're going to go to all of the nations. And Jesus is letting them know this is about to happen. Um, and then in and what we have in the ascension, again, it, it becomes slightly confusing as we go into Acts chapter 1. And why does Luke seemingly cut off Luke's gospel? And then he gives us more detail at the beginning of Acts. But notice, where do they finish Luke's gospel? In the temple. And where does Luke's gospel begin? In the temple, yes. And Janine pointed out this like grand inclusio of starting in the temple and ending in the temple. And what are they doing in the temple? They're worshiping. Yes. And so one thing that we, we cannot get around, and it's just going to be something we're going to have to continue to remind ourselves of, the people, these people, the majority of them are Jews. They are not renouncing their Jewish faith. They are still going into the temple. They are still practicing the Passover. They're still doing all of these things that are what the Jews do. That's why as we move into Acts, getting back to your guys' thing, they're going to have this such a hard time when Peter sees the vision and he's like, this, this cannot possibly be, Lord. That's why Paul has these challenges around what does it mean to be a, a follower of Jesus 
and this devout Jew. And so to say that, that what we have is this anti-Jewish sentiment in the Gospel of Luke and in Acts is 100% not true. It is not true. These people are Jews. They continue to be Jews. They are followers of Jesus who are Jews. Now, yes, there's going to be a bunch of Gentiles that come into the picture. Totally agree. That's going to happen. But at this point, this thing is happening, and it's a very Jewish thing that's happening. And so we can't overlook that or miss that. So, let's take, uh, we've got about 10, well, we've got more than 10 minutes, but I'm going to give you about 10 minutes to discuss the last question about this idea of looking back and seeing things clearly, because um, we see that uh, as we've gone throughout Luke's gospel, you know, they, as it says here, you know, they remember, they have this moment where they remember, and they're like, oh, yes, this moment of clarity as they kind of have this hindsight um, and so I think it's a really great little conversation piece around when we look back on our life, how does it affect how we look forward uh, as it relates to God? So I'll give you guys about 10 minutes to discuss.
All right, you got about 30 seconds to wrap up whatever you are currently talking about. What's up? What am I going to address? Oh, yeah. All right. Thoughts, comments, questions? Yeah, it takes time to connect the dots. But they can be connected. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, when you're in it, what he was saying is when you're in, you're so close to it, you can't see the totality of the full picture. Yeah, you know it's when we started this. I told many people like just my Greek professor in college. He said, "You're walking into the fog. Just keep walking, and eventually you're going to turn around and you're going to say, oh, my goodness, look how far I've come.' But in the moment, all you see is the fog that's right in front of you." Um, and so, yes, when you're so close, it's hard to see what's actually happening. So, one thing I did, if you notice in the schedule for the fall or for this, um, for Acts, <laughs> do you think I was going to say the spring? <laughs> is I built in uh, the last day as like a buffer day, and so. Hopefully we can have some Q&A. I know last year we did, I think it was last year we did uh, some Q&A. Um, so hopefully we can do that again um, for Acts. Highly recommend uh, delving into Acts over the next couple weeks, uh, consuming as big a chunks as possible at a time, if not the entire, uh, the entire book of Acts together at one, at one time. Um, I really encourage you, it's, you're not, you're not trying to get everything every time in, in this, like, larger consumption. It's just trying to familiarize yourself with some of the stories, some of the characters, some of the phrasing that, that's going to stick out to you um, as we go forward. And then in January, we're going to do the uh, readings again on Sunday mornings during the second service. So you can certainly try that out see what that looks like. Um, 
yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about Acts and how this is going to flow together. I know at times I can become like Jojo the circus boy and get overly excited. The other week, Nikki was like, I wanted to raise my hand and, and tell you to just, like, thank you, Taylor Swift. You need to calm down just a little bit. Um, but honestly, sometimes it's just, it's exciting and fun, and I, I like you guys uh, are engaged, and so that's fun for me, and I'm excited about where we're going and, and the trajectory we're on, so we can take a couple weeks and enjoy Christmas and experience Christmas in a new way by engaging with each other, inviting folks into our homes. Invite somebody new, right. Yeah, I mean, people love new, well, some people enjoy New Year's resolutions, what a better New Year's resolution than to try and join us on Wednesday nights. And you know, it's like the two guys walking down the road. It's not, hey, you should come to Wednesday night. It's, hey, would you consider joining me on Wednesday nights? And then maybe you're like, hey, we should get dinner and then go to Wednesday night together. And so then it's a collective thing um, versus just, uh, you know, this is something that you should do. So... And it's interesting because there's like tables right out there you can sit at <laughs> and eat your dinner. So, yes? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Clean up after yourselves is what they're saying. <laughs> Let's pray. Uh, let's pray real quick, and then we'll clean up after ourselves. Uh, Jesus, we just thank you for this time, and we thank you for how you have revealed yourself to us and to your disciples and how you've handed us through your spirit, uh, your word. And so we just pray, Lord, that we would be faithful disciples, being able to see and hear you clearly, and as you say, not only be hearers of your word, but doers. Uh, and so be with us this Christmas season as we seek to honor you well and celebrate you well by loving those that we come in contact with uh, each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, y'all, for being here.